one of the things that comes up like you've mentioned as well is documentation is a pain in the ass no one wants to do that in general and it takes so much time that you know it sort of takes away time from executing and actually getting some results and insights which is sort of a balance that always needs need to be struck but yeah. we realized an opportunity over here in the sense that ai is not going to solve your problems for you but it can get you to the solution much faster You're listening to Foreign Founders, where we tell stories of immigrant and international founders who are working tirelessly to shape the future. We share stories of their upbringing, culture, and background, and explore the companies and products they're building. We want to highlight these founders because these are stories that are often not told. Thank you for joining us. This episode is not just for marketers. It's founders and small teams who are looking to accelerate their growth through rapid iteration and experiments. Today, I'm real excited to have Satwik Govind Darjula, founder of Uptick. Uptick is an AI-powered growth platform that helps teams plan and execute growth hacking experiments. You and your team can brainstorm, prioritize, execute, and track your experiments and see what moves your North Star metrics all in one place. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Andy. Thanks for inviting me. Really excited to be here. Let's get started with your background. Where did you grow up and where are you today? Yeah, let's get started with that. So I'm originally from India, currently in Portugal, even within India. So I was born in one state, but grew up in a completely different state after that. But I've been there for most of my life in general. I was born in Andhra Pradesh, which is in the south, and I grew up in Maharashtra, so which is basically the state where Bombay is or Mumbai. you know from there i actually started my sort of international journey around 10 years ago when i did my masters in newcastle in the uk but after that i was looking for a couple of opportunities outside couldn't find anything interesting so went back to india for my first job had my first startup as well over there and eventually moved to portugal when i joined seedstars when they were really planning their sort of central office in one place and decided to open it in porto i was like okay i'm going to jump on this opportunity just go there because role is perfect for me as well but having said that once i joined seedstars that's when things truly kicked off because i eventually got into the role of mentoring startups and actually had the chance to go to cambodia to run a 3 month acceleration program so when i was there i got a lot of opportunities to run workshops across southeast asia so i went to philippines i went to taiwan i went to thailand to vietnam to laos even to fiji at one point because we were running an acceleration program over there and someone wanted me to run a growth workshop so i took that yeah. opportunity to even you know get myself a two week vacation <laughs> while i was there seedstars is a global accelerator exactly so seedstars focuses mostly on emerging markets and runs acceleration programs across asia latin america africa southeast asia or middle east everywhere except for europe and us which was perfect for me because i really want to explore all of these markets in general got to work with tons of startups across different markets different industries did you realize i guess what were the flavor of the startups i bet it's a lot of different startups but did you start to see different builders different companies basically it really depended on where i was at any given point or what kind of acceleration program they were running most of it was focused on early stage to sort of pre-seed seed stage but each accelerator program had its own flavor in the sense that we would either focus on healthcare or we would focus on fintech or we would focus on local impact we would focus on waste management stuff like that 
which means you'd see these tons of different solutions coming up, which are so focused on solving local problems over there. It was quite amazing to work with all of them, to be honest, because I wouldn't have had this opportunity to get an exposure to such a diverse group of people otherwise. Yeah, that's incredible. Did they also fund the companies that were in the program? Not usually. So the way we worked was uh, we would partner with local governments who had the funds to invest in the local ecosystems. And we'd come in as the experts on running acceleration programs, go there and actually get the startups inducted and help them actually start scaling. But typically wouldn't invest unless we really saw some potential. And that was kind of the way we worked. We had the acceleration wing and the VC wing, which had the funds to invest, but we would use the acceleration programs to do our due diligence and pick up one or two that we would want to invest in. After yeah, that. incredible. So this journey with Seed Stars took you all around the world, literally. Oh yeah, literally. So there was a time when I literally did five continents within a span of three months. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that was That's a story I still love to tell all the time. Yeah. Before we move on, favorite country that you were in that three months period? Has to be Cambodia. And I might be a little bit biased because I've spent three months over there versus everywhere else being, you know, a couple of weeks at the max. But I just absolutely love the culture over there, everything in general. Like being from the startup ecosystem, it was very nascent ecosystem. It's just starting to find its roots right now, which means I could really go there and, you know, help build those foundations as well, which has been a transformational experience for me. Even in terms of the culture, the people, everything, loved it. The food, amazing. That's amazing. So Seed Stars basically said, Hey, you're doing super well. You're helping all these programs. And now we want to open up in Portugal. And that's where you set foot in Portugal through that opportunity. Uh, no, actually, it was even before that because Seed Stars are the way it operates because they operate across the world. Most of the team is traveling all the time in general, but they want to actually have a central office where the team can go if they're not traveling. And that's when they opened the office in Porto long ago, even before I joined, just so that, you know, there's a base, right? And that's around the time when I applied to work at Seedstars is when they opened the office. And I got here, I was here for two years, and then I started traveling around for almost a whole year and doing all of these different workshops and programs and stuff. And that's basically, unfortunately, when COVID hit and everything stopped right there. Yep. I remember that. We all remember that. <laughs> well, and then from there, basically went back to Porto with Seed Stars. Can you tell us a little bit more about Portugal or Porto as a startup ecosystem? What is it like there? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I never got to do when Seed Stars specifically was explore the Portuguese startup ecosystem because I was just working outside for such a long time. Yeah. But I created a bit of a network over here, just more out of curiosity than, you know, out of habit or for work in general. But what I've seen is the ecosystem in Portugal has been growing at a very rapid pace for the last five years because I did not see so many institutions, so many VCs, so many angel networks working out of Portugal five years ago as I see right now. It's possible that right now because I'm involved over here, I'm starting to see it. I was just blind to it. But there's definitely been a lot of change where a lot more people that I speak to are actually interested in a path in entrepreneurship just because of the kind of support ecosystem that grew around it. At this point, Porto is more of a smaller city than Lisbon. But even over here, there's multiple central hubs for entrepreneurship and co-working spaces that promote these kind of plans and stuff like that. But if you go to Lisbon, that's a completely different ballgame in itself where uh, there's major investors, major unicorns coming out of it already. It's been a pretty exciting time in the last one, one and a half years where I've really gotten to explore this side of Portugal. 
Yeah. So startup, from what I hear too, is like there's a lot of entrepreneurs moving to Portugal, whether it's Lisbon or Porto. Web Summit is there too, right? Like one of the biggest conferences. Correct me if I'm wrong. I also heard that the government there is trying to promote a lot of entrepreneurs to move there, set up either shop in the EU, etc., Right. Exactly. So I think that has a lot to do with how the ecosystem has grown in general, because for the last three, four years, there's been new visa schemes in Portugal where they would invite entrepreneurs, digital nomads to come and work from here. And that's obviously promoted a lot of the culture that's developed around entrepreneurship over here. Yeah, incredible. So as an immigrant or international founder to Portugal, what is, has it been like building your company there? Right. So I think the most obvious challenge that comes to mind always is the language barrier because Portugal being a European country speaks Portuguese. Even after five years over here, I'm still very bad at that language. Should make more of an effort. But given that I need to go to the government offices to open my company or something like that, it's just very difficult to do that. Fortunately for me, I've found a Portuguese co-founder to work on my startup with, which has been so transformational that he would handle all of the bureaucratic stuff while I could really just focus on the product as much as possible. He's the product person, I am not. <laughs> yeah, so the language barrier has always been there. I mean, the second thing is, and it comes back to the language barrier, but as a foreign founder in Portugal, one of the opportunities that I could not afford was creating more local solutions. Having been living here, I could see a lot of inefficiencies that I could solve with a tech startup, for example. But as a founder, you need to be the first salesperson. And I obviously could not do that if I couldn't speak to local businesses and solve their problems, right? Like that was a path that I would completely avoid just because I could not speak the language and I would not be able to build a startup over here for local businesses. I see. So that's why your focus is on companies or companies who are predominant English speaking tech companies, that's kind of like your ideal customer profile. Precisely. So having a SaaS platform affords you that comfort that it's a global market in general, uh, where, which you can serve. So you don't really need to focus on a geography as much as a niche in terms of segment or industry or whatever that is. And yeah. not on, I need to serve people from only the US or Europe. Totally. And we'll go into your company uptick in a little bit. But yeah, for so thanks for sharing the challenges. I want to kind of like wrap it up in terms of like your background. What made you want to build a startup? Were you doing that really early on in your career, in your life, growing up? What's that background look like? Right. As far as I can remember, I've always wanted to do something of my own. It just wasn't as reachable back in the day. But like most people, my first entrepreneurial experience was selling lemonade on a stand. And I did that with three of my friends when we were still like very, very young. And we were like, this is this sounds exciting. Let's just do something. Made a 50 cent equivalent of profit from that stand. It was just a very exciting moment even for that because you know that's 50 cents more than what we've ever earned (laughs) totally that's awesome but yeah after that me and my cousin we almost grew up together even though we grew up in different cities we would meet every summer and discuss all of these different ideas on what we could do so one day we decided that we should just start an agency Uh, and this Mm -hmm. was almost 12 13 14 years ago but he was great with design website building and stuff like that he just started to learn all of that and he was very excited to use those skills i was like okay like let's use those skills i'll find us some clients let's get some money right so that was the first company that we literally incorporated
got created together, it sort of fizzled out towards the end just because, you know, we were studying, we had exams to do, stuff like that. But it was an experience in itself. We got three or four different clients, got a little bit of money to save into the pockets. We decided, you know, when we have more time, let's do something again, which was a couple of years later, back in 2016, when we started our first food tech company in India. Basically, a food tech company within India for restaurants to serve their customers better, essentially. Ran that for about one year together. He's the design and tech genius. I just do sales, basically. But product was amazing. It just so happened that it wasn't the right market that we were targeting. So it failed miserably after that. But that's around when I realized, okay, obviously I need to learn a lot more about how to build a startup before I can do this again. Which is why everything I said about Seedstars, it's been a transformational experience for me learning from all of these different entrepreneurs across the world. And here I am today again, starting up again, just trying out my hand at that part three. Yeah. So let's talk about part three. Uptick. How did you come up with the idea? How did you meet your co-founder? Those kind of stories. Yes. Let's start with how I came up with the idea. So I've been working in growth for a long time. Even when I was mentoring startups, it was really focused on growth, experimentation. How do we set up a good process to build a scalable process for growth in your company? Stuff like that. So I was really focused on delivering workshops, mentoring startups, doing that in Seedstars for our pro- for the products that we were selling ourselves. A lot of running experiments. And one of the things I realized, we are always doing this on spreadsheets. And eventually, when you're working with a team, someone forgets to update something and we lose a lot of data a lot of insights and this happened yeah. so many times in a single week that it got a little bit frustrating and once i left seedstars i was doing a lot of growth advisory as well and that's when i realized okay maybe i have a little bit more time on my hands maybe i can build something more scalable just for myself because i'm frustrated with using spreadsheets so i'm going to use bubble.io and create a tool that i can use with my clients so that we can manage our experimentation process better so i did that with, for a couple of clients and eventually realized okay, maybe there's a more potential over here than i really And that's when towards the end of last year in 2022 is when I realized, okay, this can actually be a SaaS product that I sell outside and make it more scalable. Also, growth is, it's been around for 10 years, but it's still not as widely used as a framework as it could be. So I thought this was a good opportunity to scale that impact of the growth methodology as well. And that's when I basically applied for Antler because they came for their first cohort in Iberia around the same time. So I was like, okay, this is the perfect opportunity. I need a co-founder because I'm not going to be able to do a scalable business just by myself. And that's exactly where I met my co-founder, Nuno, who happens to be Portuguese, which saved me a lot of trouble in itself. But also because he comes from a product background, he adds a lot of cadence to my chaos, let's say, where he brings a lot of that process-driven experience with him where we can you know, grow more sustainably rather than just trying to go for every single opportunity that comes to my face. Awesome. Going back to the Optic product that you were building early on, is the main issue there that small teams don't have enough time to like create these experimentation framework? Like what's the real problem that you were seeing? Right. I think it's a bit twofold, let's say. First thing is small teams don't realize that when they're running experiments in general to grow their business, if they're just doing it by gut instinct and they're not really trying to validate an assumption, let's say, it's not going to scale as a process in itself. They need a process in place or a foundation in place so that they can leverage insights from each experiment and build on top of that rather than just doing the same thing again and again and hoping for different results. So that was one of the first reasons why I got into this space in general because that sort of came naturally to me of understanding okay there needs to be a process over here here's how we leverage learnings from a previous experiment build on top of that etc etc and the second thing is obviously so once they get past that first barrier it's more we don't have time to document all of this stuff we want to be executing we want to be grow 
going. But again, it comes back to the same problem. Like you're executing so much, you're not really sharing all of those insights with everyone else who might find it much more useful. So marketing is running a lot of experiments and they're changing the messaging. The product doesn't know about that. So they're still doing the same thing and they're not changing the onboarding process. And it just breaks down completely. You're not optimizing for North Star metric growth. You're optimizing for your own team at that point. Mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. And a lot of things can possibly break because of that. Customer success cannot have the right messaging when they're dealing with the, with, you know, really pissed off customers in general because they've yeah. been promised something in the beginning of the funnel and now that it's completely different. So that's where I sort of realized, okay, a spreadsheet isn't really going to do this. We need a platform that can really promote this sort of cross-functional alignment collaboration to be able yeah. to drive a better growth process where everyone yeah. can share learnings, everyone can run experiments that are aligned towards the North Star and not just for their own team in general. So that's basically the kind of problem that I started to solve and obviously, eventually, with a lot of customers, we got to the core of the problem as well. And we are, we are trying to you know, build it from the ground up from there at this point. Yeah. So my background is marketing. And the best team that I learned a lot from was very cross-functional. I think that was the, yeah. the pillar of how they grew was like everyone was speaking the same language, even though your roles were totally different. And it was a highly documentation culture, but you still had to put a lot of effort no matter who you were to like build that documentation. And I think we did do experiments that were maybe like not optimal. So I Mm -hmm. totally see where uptick really comes into. Can you share a couple of like success stories of what you saw, whether that was like pre actually having the product now or post where a team would use uptick and then they would have success? I think it's still a bit early to uh, call anything a real success. But one of the companies that I was working with in Nigeria, they were my clients. But towards the end of the year, when I wanted to focus on uptick, because I already was using Uptick with them for a couple of months, they kept using it after that as well within themselves. And you could really see the North Star metric graph significantly growing after a point of time. It took a while to really set up the process and that's completely fine, right? Because you don't want a flat graph for one year, but you can afford a three-month flat graph in order to really scale exponentially after that. And that's exactly what happened because eventually uh, they could onboard their entire team not just there with the growth team, but also the marketing, product, customer success, tech as well onto Optic yeah. and managed to collaborate with them on, okay, so this is what, these are the experiments that we're doing because this is the objective we're focusing on because this is how it affects our North Star metric. And that was communicated just by looking at the dashboard and not through three or four different calls aligning on every single thing. Right? Amazing. So th- that in itself saved a lot of time for them to actually really focus on what matters. Yeah. And I count that as a success right there. Yeah, huge. There's been so many instances where uh... I'm like working with agencies or external partners and it's such a pain in the butt to just like exactly. go back and forth just to get like these metrics in or like communicate well. It's like, yeah, just having that access yeah, is a, huge. It is definitely a huge problem. And the real problem is that most people don't realize that there's this better way out there. And I'm not saying growth is the way to go, but just having a process in place around how you share learnings and stuff makes things so significantly better. But everyone has a lot of other problems. This just doesn't surface enough that they're like, okay, let's take a step back and look at the foundations before we move forward. Right. Yeah, totally. Who should be using Uptick? 
Uh, so right now, as we are building it, we are building for growth teams specifically in post-product market fit C to series A startups because we are not really targeting anyone that has tons of people in the growth team because we still want to start from a smaller team and let them grow into it rather than trying to get everyone on board because we don't have the capabilities to onboard 15 different people and then just start from scratch from there. The way we're building it is, okay, you're a team of two people and you've got to coordinate with these other teams, but that's a great start. Let's start from there. Let's set up your workspace and see how we can develop that collaborative spirit across different teams. But we don't want someone too small as well because, you know, pre-product market fit, you're really validating a lot of core assumptions. You're not running experiments to grow. And that's not what we want to do at this point. And at that size, are there dedicated marketing people or are the founders doing a lot of the marketing and growth work? We've seen both in equal measures, to be honest, because yeah, at this point, either most teams have like one growth marketer who's just been hired a couple of months prior to this, and they're still sort of figuring out a lot of things and they've got so much on their plate, they don't have time for processes. Or it's the founders who are leading the whole marketing or growth departments in general, and they're trying to figure out how can I scale this approach like beyond what we have right now. Yeah. And that I think is the perfect spot because you can sort of hand off 50% of the process responsibilities to uptick itself. You can actually focus on getting a better team in place that can run the process after that. Yeah, that's very cool. Let's talk about building this product, especially within the context of AI, because I know Uptick yep. is an AI growth platform. What does AI do for you within the product? Uh, yeah. No, it's been an exciting couple of months since OpenAI released their API access. And we sort of jumped on the opportunity because we've been doing a lot of customer interviews. And one of the things that comes up, like you've mentioned as well, is documentation is a pain in the ass. No one wants to do that in general. And it takes so much time that, you know, it sort of takes away time from executing and actually getting some results and insights, which is sort of a balance that always need, needed to be struck. But yeah. we realized an opportunity over here in the sense that AI is not going to solve your problems for you, but it can get you to the solution much faster, where if we know what you're trying to do, what is the goal that you're trying to achieve and how you want to achieve that or what kind of ideas you have in place to achieve it, we can create a baseline experiment design for you that you can start editing. And instead of taking two hours to create an experiment design, it takes you 10 minutes now to just edit some stuff, make it more specific to your context and just move on with running the experiment. So that's something that we started with based on a lot of customer feedback. And eventually we thought, okay, this can actually scale a lot better and we can make all of the teams a lot more efficient, even in the brainstorming phase, because we know a little bit more about them now while they've been running experiments, sharing their learnings, etc. We can leverage that to give them more ideas on top of what they're doing and you know make that brainstorming phase faster as well you don't need three four different brainstorming calls you can just let this help you let this be your brainstorming partner and get one brainstorming session for 15 new ideas that's it and let's move on with prioritizing and running that experiment which is also much faster now right? yeah that's um, honestly the superpower yeah. that i've seen at least when i'm using like chat gpt or bard i'm like I just have this mental block of ideas and I just type it in. I was like, oh, that's actually a pretty decent idea. Going back to marketing, are you, is the product, especially with the ideation, focused on everything from product-led growth to social to or SEO? Like it covers the whole gamut? Absolutely. I mean, that was kind of the first thing that I thought of uh, when I was building this product as well is we don't want to limit ourselves to one team because the whole idea is to promote cross-functional alignment and collaboration. So I don't want to really target just one team and say, okay, this is for marketing. So we wanted to keep it a lot more open-ended, which means literally any team can start using it. And even when it comes to the AI 
AI ideation and stuff like that. It really depends on what objective you're trying to achieve. So if you're focused on decreasing churn, you give it a little bit of context and it'll give you ideas on what kind of experiments you can run within your product to decrease churn. If you want to increase activation, let's focus on onboarding. Let's create some ideas for that. Yeah, that's awesome. So uptick using AI is everything from making it really efficient for the marketers or the cross-functional teams, whether that's product engineer or founders to really understand what is going into the growth experimentation. And on top of that, you can get ideas on what to experiment down the line. As a founder, how do you think about building with AI in mind when the progress is so rapid? That's a very good question. So we have been considering this for a while and eventually we decided, okay, let's just focus on the customers. If they ask for something and we can solve it with AI, we will do that, obviously. But we are not going to just follow the technology for the sake of it and implement every new thing that BARD or GPT or OpenAI or anyone else comes up with just because it's there, right? Because if it doesn't provide value, we're like we're just spending time on things that would not help us get to scale in general. So it's really just about listening to customers, seeing what else can we do with the technology we have at hand, even if it's growing rapidly. So for example, we got access to Whisper more recently than we got access to the GPT API. Right? So now we're, and we got a lot of feedback from our customers saying, okay, if you could listen to our growth meetings and just log in the learnings automatically, that would be amazing so that we don't have to document that as well. So getting them nice. closer to no documentation in general, right? Now we're testing out Whisper because it's available to us. and customers said something like that could be useful. So we're testing that out to see if it works. So it, it yeah. really just comes down to that for us. Yeah. What it comes down to is customers have a problem that they want to solve and you yep. fit it into the context of how can we solve that problem? And if AI and the solutions available, whether it's like Whisper and you know, you're like, okay, let's try it with this. Let's run an experiment. Absolutely. And then see if it moves the needle for you. Yeah, that, that is exactly the process that goes on with us right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, coming to the end of the interview, are you ready for the closing question? Let's do this. All right, cool. I always ask founders, what are they most optimistic about? And I would love to hear yours. Yeah, so this question comes at a very interesting time because as we were speaking before in general, it took us a lot of time at Uptick to incorporate our business in Portugal. But just last week, the Portuguese government came up with an online tool where anyone can open a company within 10 minutes. And I am very hopeful about that. It's not perfect, but it's going very much in the right direction of get a company live and actually focus on their business rather than on the bureaucracy. So yeah. I really hope that whatever me and my co-founder went through of one month of finance finding out information, finding out how to go about things as a first-time entrepreneur in Portugal. No one else has to go through that. And I'm very optimistic about what this can do for the ecosystem in general. That's incredibly powerful. Yeah, I, I wish it would be as easy here, you know, to like do it within 10 minutes online. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that I haven't really covered, especially related to uptake, your background that you want to close off with? Not necessarily. I think we've covered pretty much everything. Cool. And then if people want to follow you or find Uptick, how can they do so? They can obviously go to our website, uptick.app, which is uptiq.app, or they can always connect with me on LinkedIn, search for Satvik Uptick, and you should be able to find me because my last name is very complicated to spell over here. So let's just call it Satvik Uptick. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And the product is available for anyone who goes on the site and signs up. Is that right? Absolutely. Anyone awesome. can literally sign in and create the workspace in literally two minutes. Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, I really appreciate your time, Satwick. This was really fun to talk about, especially from a marketer to marketer, and really learn about Uptick and your background. So, thank you for coming on. Likewise, Andy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this valuable, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast app. One more thing: Foreign Founders is a new podcast, so please consider leaving a rating or review. That helps more people find the show. See you on the next episode.